Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Let's face it, money is the one subject we all need to deal with, but no one actually wants to talk about. The good news is there's a podcast helping you learn everything about money no one taught you. Meet Everyone's Talking Money, hosted by me, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money and just helps you get in a better relationship with your money no matter what your goals are. Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. On April 3rd, 2020, a man died behind bars that, in his earlier life, was remembered as Philadelphia's biggest hippie. A man who threw away that peaceful exterior and became dangerous when his girlfriend of five years broke his heart. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Ira Einhorn was born on May 15, 1940 into a middle-class Jewish family and, as an early adult, attended the University of Pennsylvania where he became active in a number of ecological groups and part of a few counterculture, anti-establishment, and anti-war movements all throughout the 60s and 70s. In fact, Ira had the honor of being a speaker at the very first Earth Day event in Philadelphia in 1970, and claimed he was instrumental in the event's conception, something other organizers heavily disputed. After graduating from the university in 1961, Ira became an English instructor at Temple University, where he worked for only one year. The school, citing his, quote, contempt for the academic world and, quote, straight answers about the delights and dangers of cannabis and LSD to his students, decided not to renew his contract. Ira was a bright, charismatic, and flamboyant man who, after dropping acid for the first time in 1958, spent the rest of his life advocating for the use of drugs and even taught free courses on the LSD experience, leading to the Village Voice referring to him as, quote, indisputably Philadelphia's head hippie and its number one freak. 
It was the age of Aquarius, and Ira, like many men and women around this time, was at the center of it all. However, not every moment with Ira was peace and love. According to those same organizers who disputed his role in the establishment of Earth Day in Philadelphia, Ira had a dark side that really showed itself when his little speech came after he snatched away the microphone and would not yield the podium for 30 minutes in hopes of getting some free airtime on television. He was also known to be domineering with the women in his life, quite violent when rejected, and one media report even claimed that he strangled a woman until she lost consciousness, with another saying he hit a woman over the head with a bottle. Despite his bad reputation in the dating world, Ira began a five-year relationship with a woman named Holly Maddox, a Texas girl and graduate from Bryn Mawr Univ College who, after years of her parents' disapproval, broke up with Ira Einhorn in 1977 and moved to New York City where she met a man named Saul Lapidus. Ira, the peace-loving hippie, was furious with Holly for breaking off their relationship and demanded that she come back to Philadelphia to retrieve the belongings that she left behind before he chucked them out onto the street. She agreed and returned to their apartment on September 9, 1997. She was never seen again. After a few weeks missing and her mother growing incredibly concerned when her normally considerate daughter didn't call to wish her a happy birthday, police came to Ira's apartment to ask him if he had seen his ex-girlfriend. He claimed he had, but after leaving to go get some tofu and sprouts from the neighborhood co-op, Holly never came back home. The police, buying his story, walked away from his apartment and notified the worried family that there wasn't much they could do with the investigation. That wasn't good enough for Holly's family, and two private investigators were hired to try and find her. All while Ira continued on with his life, went on a few speaking tours, and took a semester-long fellowship at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. Having no clue, as far as the research tells, that he was being looked at with the eyes of seasoned detectives. By 1979, the private investigators had pieced together enough circumstantial evidence to give the Philadelphia police probable cause to obtain a search warrant. According to their investigation, Ira had, at some point, requested some help in disposing of a trunk filled with what he claimed were, quote, secret documents. And according to some of his neighbors, not only was there a putrid smell coming from his apartment, but the ones living downstairs claimed that there had been a disgusting brown liquid seeping through his floorboards and into their kitchen. This, coupled with his general lack of cooperation with the police, was enough for the warrant to be granted. When the police entered the apartment on March 28, 1979, they found the mummified body of 30-year-old Holly Maddox, shoved in a trunk in his closet covered in styrofoam, air fresheners, and newspapers. Her skull had been fractured in at least six places 18 months prior, placing her time of death somewhere on or around the 9th or 10th of September in 1977. After a closer look at her position in the trunk, investigators determined that she was alive and semi-conscious when she was placed inside of the trunk that she had tried and failed to claw her way out until her final breath. When a police officer looked at Ira and said, it looks like we found Holly, Ira responded, you found what you found. After he was arrested, Ira's lawyer, notorious defense attorney Arlen Spector, negotiated a $40,000 bond, which was posted by a Montreal socialite named Barbara Bronfman, who met Ira through their shared interest in the paranormal. 
Still claiming his innocence, Ivor was released on bail and told anyone who would listen that the murder was all part of a CIA or FBI conspiracy against him to try and discredit and halt all of his political activities. Claims he made very vocal until January 21st, 1981, when he skipped bail on the eve of his pretrial hearing and seemingly disappeared off the face of the planet thus beginning one of the biggest international pursuits of a fugitive since the hunt for Nazi war criminal Adolf Eichmann. At the head of this extensive manhunt was Assistant District Attorney Richard Benedetto, who, after reading and rereading 60 of Ira's handwritten journals, felt as though he knew his subject better than anyone else. In 1985, Ira was traced to Dublin, where he was living under the name Ben Moore. But before any extradition papers could take effect, he fled once again and likely ended up in Europe. Plans, schemes, and expenses funded by the supportive Barbara Bronfman, who continued to financially back the fugitive until she read author Stephen Levy's damning book on the friend called The Unicorn Secret in 1988. The name Unicorn, or Unicorn Killer, comes from the fact that, in German, his name Einhorn translates to the mythical animal. Still in the wind in 1993, Philadelphia officials made the unprecedented decision to charge Ira Einhorn in absentia for the murder of Holly Maddox and, still on the run, he was sentenced to life imprisonment. In 1994, Richard D. Benedetto learned of Barbara's change of heart and, after speaking with her, was able to obtain a Stockholm address that she believed Ira was still living in. When checked, the address belonged to a woman named Anika Floden, who said that, while she did not know who Ira Einhorn was, she did know who Ben Moore was. Unfortunately, she had no idea where he was. Shortly after they spoke, Anika herself disappeared and, when investigators ran her name through Interpol, they found that she not only relocated to France, but that she and Ira had been married under the identity of Eugene Malone. It would take a few more years and a few more near misses for Richard to finally arrest his man. But on June 13, 1997, in a converted mill house in the French countryside, he finally found Ira after 17 years of looking. Finally in custody and already charged and sentenced in Philadelphia, Ira's lawyers argued that if he was returned to the U.S., there was a chance that he would face the death penalty. France, like many countries that have abolished the death penalty, will not extradite a fugitive to a jurisdiction where death is an option, without assurance that the individual will not face this penalty. To combat this concern, Pennsylvanian authorities pointed out that, when Holly's murder occurred, the state was not practicing the death penalty. Therefore, Ira could not and would not face it as a potential sentence. With that avenue closed, Ira and his lawyers sought another way to avoid his extradition, involving the European Court of Human Rights and a French law that required a new trial when a defendant is sentenced in absentia and unable to present his own defense. On this basis, the Court of Appeals rejected the extradition request. 35 members of Congress sent letters to the French president to plead their case, But because of the French doctrine of the separation of powers, the president could not intervene with the extradition. Because of this lack of progress, in 1998, Pennsylvania legislature passed a bill, nicknamed the Einhorn Law, which allowed defendants convicted in absentia to request another trial. 
a bill that was, in an effort to further delay his extradition, criticized by Ira's attorneys, who called it unconstitutional while they tried to get the French courts to, once again, deny his extradition on the grounds that the law would be inapplicable. The plan backfired. The French court ruled itself unable to evaluate the constitutionality of foreign laws, and the matters were taken before the prime minister, who issued an extradition decree. Unwilling to give up, Ira then litigated against the decree itself, but was ruled against. Desperate, he slit his own throat to avoid imprisonment, and eventually litigated his case before the European Court of Human Rights. They too ruled against him, and on July 20th, 2001, he was taken back onto U.S. soil. Taking the stand in his own defense, Ira claimed that Holly was killed by CIA agents who attempted to halt his, quote, investigations into the Cold War and, quote, psychotronics. Unswayed and after two hours of deliberation, Ira Einhorn was found guilty on October 17, 2002 and sentenced to life imprisonment without the chances of parole. On April 3, 2020, at the age of 79, Ira Einhorn died of natural causes while in the Pennsylvania State Correctional Institution, Laurel Highlands. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on April 4th. Don't forget to write and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.